Honoring the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And our brother Jeff is over in Studio CC. And in just a few minutes, we will go to the phone lines. Uh, We started taking calls yesterday on the topic, and then we ran out of time. There was just a lot of information that I wanted to get in, and so we got near the end of the show. And, man, the phone lines were still pretty lit. So Mm -hmm. wanted to give you an opportunity to, to comment on what we talked about yesterday. And so just as a refresher, I was mentioning that we need to be watchful. We need to pay attention to what sort of starts to come, you know, down the line and what might be the next threat to the church. This is one of the things that we talk about all the time, man, you know, let us be watchmen. Let us not be caught off guard. Let us use discernment. And I was reading this article um, that was talking about that the church needs to have this response Mm. to current anti-Asian American, um, I guess, presence, or I don't know how you even describe it. In other words, the church has another race problem. And this time it is racism that surrounds COVID-19 discrimination. And it's like, what are you going to do about it, church? What church are you (laughs) going to do about it? And again, I don't want anyone to think that I'm making light of this. I am not making light of any of our shortcomings. You know, we, Mm. we don't tread lightly when it comes to sin. So when there are sin issues, we deal with it. We have parameters for that. But I am absolutely hesitant and skeptical of the world when the world begins to tell the church that it has a problem. Um, And I think increasingly what we have seen is that you have very wicked philosophies that have found it incredibly effective to infiltrate the church and Mm -hmm. then work out from there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, strangely enough, it seems that the church has become what we were supposed to be standing guard in the culture Mm -hmm. saying this is the standard. Right. But we have actually softened to the point where now we are. I would say, man, working against our own interests in a lot of the stuff that we advance. Um, some some of these critical race theory issues. I mean, this is, you know, this is what we talk about when the church starts to adopt a secular model um, against the word of God. So I'll just just to recap here, one of the things that um, that really kind of I found curious in this statement that came from um, this newly minted Asian American Christian community. And I'm not exaggerating when I say newly minted. I mean, as of March 2020. Mm, Right. It (laughs) just happened. Like all of a sudden now they're Asian American Christians. No, folks. Like what? Mm. What is going on? What what is what is behind this? And I really think that close examination will confirm that this is another one of those attempts to divide the body of Christ, to infiltrate the church and to say that the church has a problem. One of the marks of this is that you can see what this statement 
which if you um, check out the the show notes, you can find links to this. I want you to see it with your own eyes. I want you to read it. Mm -hmm. But some of the marks that kind of identify when these things are not genuine and not organic in nature is what the calls to action are. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the calls to action are always consistent when we are talking about uh, neo-Marxism and we're talking about creating a new protected class, a new oppressed people group, the calls to action are always the same. One, there must be re-indoctrination. So you've got to train this new group mm -hmm. how to be oppressed, one. <laughs> then two, <laughs> then two, you've got to train everyone else how to relate to them as this new oppressed group. Man. All right. There's just a certain way you have to respond. And even in this statement from the Asian American Christian coalition group, I don't know, you know, again, newly started what? March 2020. Gospel coalition. Oh, oh, oh. No, no, not that. Oh, okay. This okay. is different. Um, <laughs> but there are several steps that I think should should alarm all of us. And so anyway, I will um, I will just just mention some of those some of those briefly. And then if you if you want to comment on what we talked about yesterday, I should have given the phone number 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. You can pick up where we left off yesterday at the end of the show, and then um, we'll have to wrap it up because we have a guest coming up in the second and third segment. So anyway, this statement that came from the Asian American Christian group that's saying that Asian Americans have long been oppressed and have you know long been victims of racism in America um, has some distinct distinct calls to action. Mm. And so number one, engage in whole life discipleship in your churches is what this statement says and embrace the teaching and the work of Jesus. I okay. agree. Amen. Yes, this is great. Yes. By actively combating anti-Asian racism from the pulpit in congregational life and in the world. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Number two, Increase awareness and education on Asian American issues, anti-Asian bias, and Asian American histories of oppression and resistance on, from pre-K through higher education. Pre -K, Wait a minute. Everybody. We're just trying to get to <laughs> April 30th. Right. Like, what? why, on, why are you now saying that we need to adopt curricula that now reflects the fact that we have this newly minted oppressed people group? I, I'm telling you guys, it just you, it doesn't pass the smell test. And I'll go through a couple more here and then we'll go to the phone lines. Number three, provide culturally comp competent mental health services and resources for Asian American youth and their families in all public schools and agencies. If the church. <laughs> if the church is having this problem, why does the church need to call for public schools mm. and agencies to intervene? What that that makes no sense. You know, like where where does that come from? Yeah. Number four, support Asian businesses, of course. <laughs> and enterprises. <laughs> Guys, I'm I'm telling you, this is a page from the book. It is. This is a it's page a, from the book. Exact verbiage. It's exact verbiage. Yeah. Uh, support Asian businesses and enterprises that are disproportionately and negatively impacted by COVID-19, as well as Asian Americans in the workplace who are unfairly targeted and discriminated against. Um you know, look, everybody's impacted by COVID-19. Exactly. Okay. I, I mean, like what, what specifically That's are no you one talking that about? That's right. That's, no That's exactly right. Yeah. You know? And so anyway, let's go to the phone lines. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Will the Great. Where'd we go? All right. Let's go to Sean in Michigan. Hi, Sean. 
Hey guys. Um, yeah, what, the the last part that you just uh, read. Um, this this thing makes me uh, upset. I was just, I was just thinking, um, you know, like I personally need uh, some discipleship and how to deal with uh, the the racism because personally, uh, if you define uh, people as melanated one way or another. Please lock yourself up, quarantine yourself with a good with your Bible and a good the, the stars. Uh, I'll appreciate that. But what you're saying, is, uh, the discipleship that is now trying to get underway, is actually corrupting people even further. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Uh, Good Lord. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm yeah. No, it's it's troublesome. <laughs> you, it is. It is. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate you calling. It really is troublesome. And let me just say this. I think that Sean makes an excellent point. And and this is a statement. If I could just echo what he said, I know that Ken Ham would be very proud. Um, we need to stop using secular terms. Right. When right. whenever it's possible. And I think many, many times then we realize it's possible to use biblical terms and to say the same thing that God says about his creation. And God has made one race of people. It's the human race. And we have different colors and we have different ethnicities and we have different cultures that result from where we have grown up. But all of that is by God's design. You know, the apostle Paul at Areopagus, I mean, he makes this dramatic statement and it's such a small statement, but it has such a huge impact when he says that from one blood, Mm -hmm. From one blood, we have been created like you have to understand the creation account. And listen, let me say this and we'll go back to the phone lines. None of it can be negotiated away. If we say that there are different accounts of creation, that there are different types of people, then when you sacrifice that, you have then sacrificed the gospel. Mm. You've sacrificed the gospel account, the gospel story. And so none of this we can negotiate away. When we start using secular terms like race, and different peoples as if there's different created orders of people than what we have then brought uh, bought into is anti-biblical thinking. Yeah. And so let's go back to the phone lines. 888-589-8840. Will the Great. Where do we go? Let's go to Laurie in Oklahoma. Hi, Laurie. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Love to listen to you guys um, when I'm in my car driving during the workday. Thank um, you, Laurie. Obviously, um, you can pretty much usually tell by someone's voice sometimes if they have an accent or if they're from a different culture. I grew up with an aunt from Japan, and my cousins are half Japanese and, and half white American, however you want to categorize it, because I'm so sick of how we divide people. Right, <laughs> But right. I will tell you, as, as, as a believer and as being a person who's 57 years old, I am sick of the discussion about racism. Not that I haven't seen people were prejudiced because I've seen it. I've had a front row seat to it. Hmm. But prejudicism comes not just because of the color of someone's skin, as they would like to say. But I tell people when I'm teaching, we do such an injustice to other people when we try to teach them that racism or being prejudiced has anything to do with the color of someone's skin. And I mean, I'm going to blow some people's mind because I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't have anything to do with black, white. Because every culture that I know has taken one particular color of person and enslaved them. Come in, on, in Lori. Africa, people let, yep. In Africa, they took slaves, kidnapped each other, and sold them to white folks. <laughs> mm-hmm. white Come folks on. took slaves. Yep. Chinese took <laughs> Come slaves. Come on. 
I yep. mean, everybody took a slave. You want to talk about what the problem is? The problem is the condition of the heart That's right. not acknowledging oh my that we have been created in the image of Almighty God. Mm-hmm. And that alone <laughs> makes us priceless. And all this skin pigmentation and different hairstyles and hair color, that ain't no more than the pretty wrapping on the package inside, which is the Amen. heart and the soul that God seeks and desires. We need to stop lying to the kids and the churches. Mm-hmm. They need to come down off their social justice platforms, get back into the Word of God, and talk about sin and how it's dividing us. And we are opening the door and letting it in when we focus on pitiful things like this instead of salvation, repentance, and getting your heart right with Jesus. I don't care what color you are. Amen. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> <laughs> I had to give her the organ. She deserved the organ on that. But you're right. You're right in exactly what you're saying. And until we are able to get to a point where we can move past that, especially in the church, because they keep trying to use that same stuff against us in the church, you know, and and that kind of stuff shouldn't even be allowed within the church of God because we have our Bibles. We have you know, everything that we need that pertains to these type of issues and to be able to say that's not how we as the people of God deal with these issues. We can look and see how things have been dealt with by the church, you know, in, in ways of, I guess people would say prejudice or whatever. Partiality is what I like to call it. When there has been partiality, we can see what the scripture has said. Just look at how Paul dealt with Peter. And that was done in-house. <laughs> that was done, you know, uh, right, right there on the spot, but it was dealt with in a way that was biblical. All right, let's go to. Let's see, let's go to Lonnie. Let's go to Lonnie in Texas. Hi, Lonnie. Uh, Mickey, you were you just said that the Asian American uh, community is advocating mental health counseling for young Asian Americans who have been. Uh, put upon, yet if we advocate uh, mental health ca- uh, counseling for transgenders, they want to put us in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, it's it's inconsistent. Yeah. Much of it is inconsistent, what we're talking about. Man, I'm sorry. Look, uh, you know, I, I want to just say something that in a nutshell, what um, our sister Lori laid out um, is just phenomenal. If we understood, if we had a biblical approach a biblical worldview is what is so desperately needed among believers. Amen. A biblical worldview. Quit crying out for Americans to have a biblical <laughs> worldview. Christians need to have a biblical worldview. What does the Word of God teach us about cultural engagement? We need to think in these terms. We need to think like the Lord. We need to think like the Lord. All right, we'll grab the break and we'll come right back. Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Please stay close. Actually, going to talk about the next phase of life. So, if you are in 
midlife, um, what is it that the Lord is still calling for you to do? And I know that the song has a different meaning, but I just think the idea and and recalling Mm -hmm. and knowing that God is not done with us because we reach a certain age. We hear so much about the youth leaving the church and we hear so much about we've got to save the next generation. And, you know, we talk about that um, all the time. But I think there is an invisible age group in the church that is also experiencing maybe something um, that should concern us. And so we're going to kind of get into that in this segment and in the next segment. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. But first, let me just say welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And it's Torin Wells with God's Not Done With You. Our guest is uh, joining us today to talk about her recent book, Becoming Sage, Cultivating Meaning, Purpose, and Spirituality in Midlife. Her name is Michelle Van Loon, and uh, she came to faith at the tail end of the Jesus movement. Mm. And um, since then, the Lord has used her and the writing ability that she has to author several books and write for Christianity Today and deal with some of these issues that honestly, I think just kind of goes right off our radar. We talk about midlife and what the Lord wants to do with believers who are in midlife, um, that mentoring that can still happen and yeah. that that active living for Christ. I don't know. I think maybe it's <laughs> American culture of retirement that we also kind of think that that applies to Christianity. We reach a certain age and it's all about the next wave, but no, it's it's about your wave as well. So let's talk about that. Michelle, thank you for joining us. I'm so glad to be with you guys this afternoon. Hope you're well. We are well. Fine. How are you and, and how's your family? So far everyone is is doing okay. But Praise God. this is this is a new zone that we are all <laughs> living through. Yes. And um I actually am kind of excited and honored that I'm going to be talking about this topic with you guys today and your listeners, because we're all experiencing lots of changes in our lives, Mm -hmm. every single one of us, no matter where we live and no matter what age we are. And so being able to recognize some of um, the transition that happens, the changes that are happening um, in our families in our personal lives, in our churches, um, and certainly in our culture, being able to be sensitive to what we're losing and um, recognize what God is doing is uh, maybe a bigger a bigger story. And I think maybe some of what I'm saying in this book may apply. Oh, that's good. You know what? Let me do this. It's kind of become my habit, especially um, with us interviewing guests around what is going on that none of us can ignore. How is the Lord encouraging you right now, Michelle? How are you encouraging your family? What is it that the Holy Spirit is reminding you of during this time that might be an encouragement to our listeners as well? Well, I I think the, the big thing um, for me personally is being able to recognize that there is anxiety that is going on. I have um, an immune system deficiency, so and I'm 60 years old, so I'm I'm definitely in the crosshairs of mm-hmm. um, you know a, a certain susceptibility mm-hmm. to what's going on, and it's it's a concern. I've been following this since January, actually, partly because of the condition that I have. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, I have been um, encouraged 
and it might sound a little counterintuitive at first, but I've been encouraged by recognizing that the concern that I have, that the fears that I have, the things that kind of jolt me awake at three in the morning, um, that God is God is near in those times. Mm-hmm. Um, I see in the Psalms the the language of when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Amen. Um, not if I'm afraid, but David wrote those words when he was on the run from enemies, invisible enemies often. And um, he knew that they were coming for him, but um, he just didn't know where they were. Mm -hmm. And I have found that being honest about those those fears and those concerns, what's going to happen financially, what's going to happen to my health, is my family going to be okay? Yeah. Um, what what is church going to look like on the the back end of all of this? Mm-hmm. I, you know, some things are are going to change for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, it's okay to be disoriented. It's it's absolutely um, a time to to grieve what we're losing, whether it's a high school graduation, a job. Um, mm-hmm. loved ones that fall ill, we're all experiencing lots of loss, and which That's is right. also disorienting. And um, so I, I like to tell people that even though Scripture, a lot of people go to the, you know, there's a do not fear in Scripture for every day of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure that that's um, theologically accurate, <laughs> but the... <laughs> But people love it. You know, I mean, it feels very convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes we use that kind of talk to drive um, underground the fact that we are afraid. Mm-hmm. And um, so being able to say, I'm afraid, is the way that we can work ourselves back into um, relationship with God. That confession um, is not a lack of faith. It takes faith to be able to be appropriately honest before God and with others. Mm-hmm. So that's, mm-hmm. that's what's kind of been working on my soul right now. That's, that's awesome. so good. That's you awesome. know, I'm, I'm thinking about what you said, Michelle, and you said, you know, even on the other side of this, we don't know what um, our church gatherings will look like. You know, there's right. just a lot mm-hmm. of uncertainty. We don't know um, how things will change. And, you know, even as we are hopeful and we head toward the end of April, we don't know that things will change either. And I think being able, as you say, to say, I'm concerned about that, that is real. That is real. Mm -hmm. And those are the things Uh that you take your real concerns to the Lord and he is present. He is ever present. And so that is such an encouragement. Um, I would like to, and we can just do this as the Lord leads us. And I'm, I'm confident that he will, but I would like for us to look at maybe some of the things that we had been neglecting in the church and um, some of the outreach that was present. Because when we talk about how things might be different or how things will be different um, Mm -hmm. on the other side of this and whenever that is, um, maybe one of the things that could be different is how we uh, respond and how we utilize Christians who are in the middle of their life or at the 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 latter part of life and you write about that in your book becoming sage Mm -hmm. uh why was this such an important topic well first let me let me just say this who qualifies to be defined as midlife 
What age group is that? <laughs> we all want to check and see, okay, where are you know, we? Am I in or I, am I out? I, exactly. Well, it depends what um, the person doing the demographics is is saying this is the age. I don't know if there is an actual, like, magical number. Now you're 40, therefore you're at midlife. Although it's around the age of 40, it is kind of a gateway into a lot of changes. I'm sorry, excuse me. Kids are growing up. um, Careers are changing. Parents, if they're alive, they're aging, and they may need more care. Um, And so kind of on the bottom end, like the 40 range. And Mm. midlife, it, it really depends on when you consider official old age to begin, <laughs> it may be as, as young as 60 to 65. It may even be a little older than that because lifespans um, to this point have been increasing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I think that the bigger thing is that sometimes we kind of get jolted there. It's not like you get a birthday card on your 40th birthday that says, Happy birthday. Welcome to midlife. Right. You, know, you, may, <laughs> you may cruise along for for a while, and there may be a series of things, small things that happen that you find yourself out of sync. Maybe, maybe your church splits. Maybe you lose your job. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, a, a marriage hits a crisis point or dissolves, or you have a prodigal child, or or an aging parent or, or family that changes. All of those kind of crisis points that kind of come along with midlife mm-hmm. um, are the invitation into midlife, although none of them feel like the kind of invitation you want to open. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it, the invitation to midlife. You know, Michelle, and I'm sure you're aware of this, right? But there there were several different groups of people listening when I asked for you to define midlife, like who's in. There were some people who were like, well, I know I'm already in. And then there were other people who kind of like <laughs> bit down a little bit. They're like, oh, is it me? I don't know. Am I, you know? And so we all just learned where we fall. And so welcome for some of you. For others of you, it's great that you've been there for a while. But let's talk about what it means when you write about becoming sage. Um, If you're in this phase of life as a believer, uh, help me understand that. Well, my concern has always been discipleship um, focus. For years, I was writing for children. I've done a lot of different things in my 60 years. But when I hit my own kind of cluster of crises that included a move, a prodigal child, the death of a parent, uh, the very traumatic church situation, all at one time, um, I, I looked to, to other believers, uh, both at my church and in the larger body of Christ, to be able to say, like, this is normal and this is hard and this is what's happening. And I didn't find a lot of that. Kind of the assumption, we put a lot of energy into talking about how we're going to disciple our children, rightly Mm -hmm. so, or how we're going to talk about new believers and how we're going to kind of give them a great foundation. This This is all super important stuff. But 
then the the unspoken assumption is here are your set of practices be involved at church read your bible pray serve you know meditate on scripture you know whatever the list of kind of core discipleship practices are just do that and just keep doing them until you meet Jesus hmm. and yes on one level that's true but the challenges change mm-hmm. just as just as they do in young adulthood when people are you know younger people are trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives and who they're going to marry and what their friends are going to look like and how they're going to connect with their larger community those there's a different set of questions that come as we get older Mm -hmm. and there just haven't been a lot of people talking about those questions and what the discipleship for older people looks like Mm. you know and man I, i think that this may to some of our listeners kind of sound counterintuitive because you think that if you've got mainstays or if you've got people who are firmly planted you you know you think you've been around a long time I don't need to cultivate you I don't need to maintain you like you can there's a certain amount of self-maintenance but I'm wondering if this thinking has kind of given way to as you write about in the book this quiet exodus that Mm -hmm. we don't talk about because it's not a part of all of the research like we're not talking about you know the the new generation, the way we talk about the older generation and how we've got to do all of this work to keep and preserve. And yet we still have an older generation in the church that maybe is just sort of leaving the church as well. Talk about that a little bit. They're, and actually they're leaving um, at a rate equal to, and in some cases exceeding that of um, the, the much studied millennial generation. Some of the, mm. the people who do such studies are noting that, um, you know, people just are fading away. A few years ago, as I was really, really starting to research this and write about it, um, I did an informal survey and I asked people just I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm just a, a, a very curious human being and a writer. Mm-hmm. And I, I put a little survey out there and asked people, if you're over 40, are you more, less, or just as involved in the life of your local church as you were a decade ago? Mm. And I hoped for 40 or 50 responses, just so I would have something to kind of interact with. Mm-hmm. I ended up with over 500. Wow. And people wrote long responses when I left the open-ended question, tell me why. And I heard about half the people were like, now that I have time, I'm more involved, I'm excited about mentoring, I'm I'm leading something, I feel like I've got a place and a purpose. But the other half was um, burned out on, you know, lots of church programs, um, feeling neglected, you know, or only valued for the financial, you know, contribution wow. that they can make wow. to the local church. And just uh, the stories were heartbreaking. And mm. because of that, that those responses really propelled me to um, continue to focus and push and ask questions and research 
and um, try to bring this all the way through. Mm -hmm. There's no age limit on discipleship, so it isn't a matter of just maintaining ever. Let's do this, Michelle. To be growing. This break is going to grab us. I want to come back and pick up right here. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. Our guest, Michelle Van Loon. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Donnie McClurkin with We Fall Down. And our guest is Michelle Van Loon. We're discussing her book, Becoming Sage, Cultivating Meaning, Purpose, and Spirituality in Midlife. And I got to say, Michelle, I'm so intrigued by this conversation. Um, I'm I'm surprised to hear that um, there are far too many believers in midlife who feel that, you know, the gathering of the believers, because sometimes when we say the church, it sounds like this independent entity, right? But we talk about that among the gathering of believers, there are, as you said, prior to going to the break, too many programs, or, you know, when we come together, maybe I'm only regarded for the financial resources that I bring. I mean, that's shocking to even hear that someone, even um, just one person would feel that way. So what I would like to do, and what I'm wondering right now is what are some of the practical responses that our congregations, mm. when we gather as a body of Christ, how are we to respond so that we are, as you write in the book, cultivating growth among believers who are in midlife? Well, I think that our our typical response um, is that we're looking for a program or a, a simple way to fix. And this is actually calling more of a, of a change of mind and change of heart That's good. Um, that goes beyond, beyond that. This isn't as much a quick fix as a call to remember that we are countercultural kingdom people. Mm-hmm. And the values that Scripture puts forth about aging and a life of discipleship and Older discipling younger, but also younger, younger learning and and being in relationship with older mm-hmm. is is something that's very different than um, the way that our culture does it, and frankly, the way that a lot of our churches do it. That mm-hmm. we, hmm. if we're focusing, we all love the idea of young families, mm. you know, coming to a church and uh, families learning together and serving together and growing together. Mm-hmm. But um, that excludes singles, it excludes widows, it excludes older people. Uh, particularly, um, I heard from a lot of women who said, I feel completely invisible, you know, if I'm not running the nursery or running vacation Bible school or whatever, you know, perhaps I'm in a mentoring relationship, but I also need to be stretched and growing and mm. 
and yes. challenged in new ways. And so throughout the book, um, rather than a program, I, I end every chapter with individual reflection questions and also questions that would be excellent for um, leaders to look at, groups to look at, um, or, you know, book discussion groups, or even um, for leaders to convene a group of the older members in the church to ask them to start speaking into some of these things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there there's some suggestions, of course, but there but the idea is also um, to spark some um, creative thinking and also to begin to value what God values, mm-hmm. um, you know, throughout a lifespan. And that's and that's the thing too. Uh, you know, I wonder in all of this, and I've been thinking about this. How do you nurture that intergenerational relationship within the mm-hmm. church? You, you know, because there is a lot to gain. You know, uh, uh, from older Christians, but it seems like there is that gap. And I know at churches we don't usually highlight, uh, uh, you know, a, a Bible study or anything for for older uh, people. It's more for singles. It's more for this and more for that. Um, how do we? I guess in a tangible, practical way, begin to link the the generations mm, uh, like so that we can, that. you know, begin to uh, learn from uh, our older Christians. Well, if if everything at a church is structured the way it is, say at a high school, where everybody is kind of age segregated, mm-hmm. and there is a lot of opportunity <laughs> for um, relationships to form naturally, um, testimonies to be shared. You know, we love it when the youth come back from mission trips, for example, mm-hmm. or or they go to camp and they come back and we hear their stories. But we also need to hear the stories of, of people that have sacrificed themselves um, to do caregiving for an aging parent or a mm, spouse. And maybe mm-hmm. they're the ones that become invisible in church. Mm. But um, they're the ones that need the connection and the relationship. And it may mean thinking about fellowship in a different way that, um, you know, allows for relationships to form, um, you know, or grandparents that are caring for grandchildren um, and maybe just don't have the bandwidth to help out with VBS, for example. Mm-hmm. Or um, there's, there's lots of ways to go beyond the things that we typically celebrate to be able to celebrate all of that, to yeah. be able to to learn about things like um, how do we prepare for death? How do we process grief? A lot mm-hmm. of that stuff isn't super popular if you're mm-hmm. in your 20s or 30s, <laughs> right. but it's right. definitely on the radar of somebody in their 50s or 60s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, it's just so good. My mind is just racing about, you know, the opportunities that we have to benefit intergenerationally and how I think that some of the programs that we, we love, and even I think we think we need more of these, maybe the programs are getting in the way of what would naturally occur in body life Mm -hmm. where, you know, you just have the gathering of the believers. I'll, I'll just say just as an example, and I don't think that this needs to be, the model anywhere, everywhere. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying 
that I'm thinking about my local fellowship. I'm thinking about the gathering of believers and I'm thinking about how we have, we don't segregate our children based on age. We all learn together. When I do Bible studies for women, all of the women come together. And I really kind of took for granted um, that that is not happening in every place or that there would be women who would say, well, if I'm not in my 20s, maybe I'm not welcome there. If I'm not in my 30s, you know, um, because there is an incredible blessing when we get together with those different experiences and mm-hmm. um, the things that the Lord has shown us along the way. But now let me ask you this, and because I, I, I kind of want to make a shift in thinking about what our midlife um, believers need to do to be proactive so that there is not a sort of, you know, dying on the vine happening. Mm. Um, is there anything that you would suggest for someone who is listening and saying, you know, I've been feeling some of these things and, and I don't want it to be so. Um, how do they jump in or get in so that they maintain healthy engagement within the body of Christ? Well, I I think actually it isn't trying to um, put your spiritual life in reverse so that you can go back to how things once were. Mm-hmm. Um, it is to be able to be honest and acknowledge, this is where I am right now, maybe not so different than what I said at the top of the um, last segment with you guys. This is where I am right now, and um, I need to be able to um, figure out what it looks like to go forward. I don't want to turn into a pillar of salt like Lot's wife, looking (laughs) back Mm -hmm. or trying to be, um, you know, the the person I was um, in my walk with God in my 30s. It is more about trying to figure out who God is calling you to become. And that means sometimes some dismantling of some of that, the stuff that worked so well in your first half of life. You know, all of the ambitions that were so powerful in your 20s and 30s sometimes don't serve you so well. They begin to evaporate um, as as grief and change come to your life as you age. Mm. So being able to recognize that and um, not not just try to power through, but to um, work with God in that, that's where the cultivating of, of real depth comes from mm-hmm. in maturity. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering just and I I hope that this is not too simple a question here, Michelle, but I'm wondering if some of what we're discussing um, is supposed to be more organic than we realize. I just I just cannot shake this feeling that if we are living life together in the body of Christ, then what would happen naturally is that you would have, yes, older women teaching younger women and you would have younger women observing these different stages in life and learning. Okay. So this is how we do this. This is how we care for our parents when they age. Uh Wow. It's taxing. And so that, and the cycle continues so that when the younger woman is in this position, it's not so jolting and it's not something where she's like unaware or unfamiliar with this. But then not only that, she takes the next woman down who's younger than Uh she is and she begins to train. So now you have transgenerational discipleship in various areas, but it seems that we've lost this organically in our fellowship. And I'm kind of concerned about that. Well, I think um, different cultures, different places in the world um, certainly do this um, 
in a much more powerful way. Um, some cultures are very um, dialed into esteeming um, older people mm-hmm. and learning from them and cherishing them. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been exactly the case in the United States, and the Church mm-hmm. has often followed suit um, with with that exact thing. You know that we're yeah. we celebrate the young and um, That's you know all of those things that kind of have disconnected us from some of that organic learning. I agree with you that the, the if we're functioning as a family um, in the church, then we get to see some of those things, but it isn't happening. And, um, and the voices who are our, our best teachers, have often been pushed off to the side or silenced. Mm. We need them. We need them desperately. We need six-year-olds to tell us that they love Jesus, and we need 86-year-olds telling us that they've lived their life loving Jesus. Mm. And it's yes. Been powerful. Yes. Yeah. That is powerful. Yeah. I just, you know, I again, often you can see that we spend a lot of time supplementing what is supposed to be common to our our nourishment in the body of Christ. Like, you you know, you have to add these things back in, but I think a healthy body is supposed to have these things naturally. And so I'm hoping that right now, as we're talking about this, that there are some hearts and some minds that are stirring and that maybe, you know, we've, we've not even thought, I mean, this is not a topic that I right. honestly think a whole lot about, Michelle. I'll just right. tell you that, you know, and there's a lot that we think about, right? That's what I do every day. This is what, what's going man. on in the culture? Yeah. But this is vital to yeah. the health of the body of Christ. Right. And so I'm hoping that it doesn't get overlooked. Uh, Will the Great, I didn't mean to, to keep No, I'm just you, echoing what you were saying. It's very important and it's putting some things on my mind. It, it you know, puts me into the mind frame of uh, uh, just local assemblies and churches, you know, what we need to do because we're missing out on a lot of wisdom, <laughs> you know, and uh, right. and things that are necessary, you know, by neglect. So that's right. It's not it's not the loudest voice that has all of the wisdom, right? It's mm. sometimes that quiet voice that we often don't hear a whole lot from that, you know, maybe telling us, "Hey, look this and that," and then, but we we don't know because mm-hmm. we don't take the time to listen. We are almost out of time. We've got about a minute maybe a minute and a half left. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about was some of the stages of faith. And I know we're not going to be able to really do a deep dive, but can you kind of summarize for me um, what you have learned about the stages of faith that we go through as believers and um, how we transition even in midlife and, and work through all of those stages? Well, I I guess because it is such a short amount of time, I, I will I, I will just focus on one that. At some point, we're going to hit a wall, we're going to hit a crisis, and it may feel like we've stopped growing, but instead, it's helpful to recognize that we are being pruned and that we are being reshaped and um, that the last thing that grows in a pruned plant or any plant is the fruit. Um, Mm. So that pruning comes and um, fruitfulness can happen throughout every every stage of life. And it, it will look different, but it will be sweet. It's not impossible. And even in this time where, where church is looking different and, and our lives are really up in, in the air in ways that we've never experienced before, um, God is at work and um, 
and life is is coming forth even in this hard time. Michelle Van Loon, the book, Becoming Sage, Cultivating Meaning, Purpose, and Spirituality in Midlife. Michelle, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you for writing this book. I also want to make sure that our listeners know your website. It's Michelle Van Loon, L-O-O-N.com. And we'll put a link in the show notes so that you can check it out and see about getting a copy of this book. We can do better, Saints. We can. Yeah. (laughs) All right, we're out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.